Got a mic in my hand. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. What does the Lord have in store for us today? Tornadoes. Look like you had a tornado across here with all the pine straw in the parking lot. Did you? ABC. Already been chewed. Good morning, America. Yes. You're right. I'll look over this way. <laughs> look over this way. Guys, man, deer camp in two weeks. You know who I'm working on. If you haven't been, you really need to consider going. This is the last one for the spring. Start them over again in the fall. Deer camp, two weeks from tomorrow. Go online to sign up. Eight, nine, and ten. Eight, nine, and ten. Eight, nine, and ten. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, we have a need at deer camp as well. Uh, Paul Inns, who may be zoomed in with us this morning, uh, is, is a regular attendee of Roundtable. Paul is an interesting guy. He's the one that uh, BPO acquired Ebenezer from. I helped Paul one day. He does some concrete work, and he's helped me do some concrete work. And I was helping him one day, and and uh, we were wrecking forms. We got to wreck forms on concrete before. That's a, that's that's the part of the job that's just thankless afterwards. Cleaning up. It's kind of like doing doing dishes after a meal. You enjoy the meal, then you got to clean up. But Paul is pulling nails and straightening them. And I see him putting them in his apron. We had ready to start forming the next section that afternoon, and he's taking the used nails and he's handing me a handful of them and said, Here, use these to put the forms together. The ones we pulled out of the forms this morning? Yeah, they're good. He's a missionary. He figures out how to get by with what he has. I looked at the guy that was helping me and said, Go to the truck, get a box of nails, and bring them back down here. I hadn't used a bit nail since I was six years old building a treehouse. Got no idea what to do with these. But in his ability, he strung a secondary line at Ebenezer from pine tree to pine tree to tree, getting by, <laughs> doing what he needed to do. Maybe bent nails, maybe straight nails, maybe staples. I got no idea what's I'm up a there. Bent nail, Joe. I a, a bent nail. nail. Bent Jeff nail. is as well. Okay. Guys, we need an electrician to take a couple of hours and go up and pull that secondary service off and see if we can't get it rerun. Uh, I assume Blair would help coordinate that, but if you know somebody or somebody who might be qualified to do that, let me know and let me get you in touch with Blair. We'd like to get that done before deer camp in two weeks if possible, so we've got a little bit of time frame going on that. Deer camp, what's that like to you? Does it only happen at Ebenezer? Not necessarily. That's a good place to start. Woke up this morning, I got here. What's God got in store for me? What does God have in store for you today? It's the anniversary of the passing of a dear friend of mine, Forrest Friday. Five years ago today, he finished cutting his grass, trimming his bushes. Wife and youngest daughter headed out to Mississippi State, and he said, I'll be there later. Let me finish cleaning up, get it bagged up, get it out on the street. They made it across Reservoir 43, almost to 25, and Forrest was carrying a bag of trash, last bag out to the street, collapsed in his driveway and died of a massive heart attack. What's God got in store for you today? Is this your last day? 
God's blessed me with today. I hope it's my best day. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity of gathering here. I thank you for the men in this room, the families that are represented. God, I thank you for my brothers in the leadership team, for Jeff and Jeff, Chris, preparing our weekly notes every week, for Phil, the rest that he received last week, coming back restored this week. Thank you for Ceasefire for hosting and providing the breakfast and coffee for us. Lord, more than anything else, I thank you for the work you did on the cross mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. and the other men in this room. Mm -hmm. May we welcome you into our heart. May we hear your voice this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jill. Morning, gentlemen. It is good to be back. I appreciate uh, Roan and Ben Derrick pinch hitting uh, for me last week. I enjoyed spring break in uh, Fairhope. Not that spring break occurs down there at the same time it does up here, but I know that there's no use. I learned years ago, there's no use of me coming up here to see clients because half of Jackson's in Destin uh, during spring break. So uh, appreciated uh, Ron and uh, Ben um, pinch hitting and I'm, and I'm sure you enjoyed them. This morning, uh, I want to offer you a song as, as we begin our whole series on this idea of transformation. Um, is the idea of God doing something uh, to restore and renovate uh, us as broken men. And Big Daddy Weave um, has a great song out that I want to offer to you. Follow up with me as I read just a little bit of, of the words to, uh, to get you in tune um, with the song. I've heard you can take what's broken and make it whole again. Well, here's the pieces of my heart. What can you do with them? Because I can't hold them all together anymore. So I let them fall, surrender to the floor. You make all things new. You make all things new. God of mercy and love, do what only you can do and make all things new. May God use this song to awaken your heart and prepare all of us for what he has for us this morning. May you hear the voice of God. God of mercy and love, 
Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, let's go to work. Pick up your handout. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. The power of relationship to restore and renovate us. Isaiah 58, 12 says, You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of our past, out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. And guys, we've been on that journey um, uh, deliberately and intentionally the last several weeks. And I hope that even this morning that you're prepared uh, to have God do something new in your life. Every man in this room is in need of renovation and restoration. And God will speak in this room this morning because uh, he's spoken here for the last 13, 14 years on Thursday morning. This is a special place and I'm grateful for it. Restoration of our soul comes when we begin our relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Restoration of our heart and mind continues because of this secure, attached relationship. So much Christian teaching tends to focus on right beliefs and right choices as the key to personal growth, but biblical evidence and modern brain science show that our character is shaped more by whom we love than what we believe. It is about that relationship. It is a relational dynamic not a moral dynamic that changes our life. We have made Christianity and even our lives and our teaching so much more about morality than reality. And that's not what Jesus taught. 
I'm not suggesting that you be immoral, but I am suggesting that you be much more connected to reality than morality. How does it really work? It's not about being good, certainly not about being bad, but it's about being connected in a relationship. The book of Isaiah will help us see how the promise of salvation would come through the Messiah. But in addition to bringing pardon for sin, intimate relationship with Jesus renovates us wholly, mind, will, and emotion. This study is about showing how we can train our brains to relate to God based on a joyful, mutual connection with Jesus, which will lead to emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. And that's what we're talking about this morning, um, identifying your maturity level and knowing how to rest. So I want you to look here just a minute before we um, look at questions and this idea of restoration, and, I, and I've talked about this as the transformation puzzle. So Jeff, if you'll throw that up on the, on the board, the section there to, to where uh, the pieces of the transformation uh, puzzle. And what I want you to understand is, um, go, to, go to number one, uh, Jeff, um, on this, um, on walking with God. So the transformation puzzle in, in, a, in a conceptual way, is three large pieces. In, uh, if we're being transformed um, in our Christian uh, faith, number one, we are developing an intimate walk with God. It, it's about walking with God. Um, um, Enoch, we know one thing about Enoch. What do we know about Enoch? He walked with God. And, and that is kind of the bottom line of all of our lives. We, we need to certainly be like Enoch. We don't know anything else about Enoch, but how, how about the best thing that would be known about you is what was, we know about Enoch, and that is he walked with God. So on the road of transformation is number one, developing and having an intimate walk with God. Number two is being involved in community. Um, it's being connected to other men, um, to being a part of a team, to being in church, uh, to being connected uh, to other people that can tell your story, that know your story, that, that hold your story. And then number three is skills. And there's 19 of these skills. And so then we get into kind of the micro, uh, the macro are those three, the walk with God, being a part of community and developing skills, practicing these skills, knowing these skills. And there's 19 of them. And today we're looking at number eight and number nine. And number eight is identifying your maturity level. Um, Everybody has birthdays that's in this room, you know, <laughs> and, and you hope they continue. But that does not ensure that you're maturing. I know a lot of really, really immature 25-year-olds.
60 year olds and 70 year olds. So you can blow out birthday candles and still be a child, act like a child. So what we're going to look at this morning is this idea of maturing and then even being able to identify how you rest. Those are important skills. I want you to pick up your pen. I have three questions for you. So question number one, what indicators can you point to that demonstrates that you are growing, maturing in your faith? What indicators do you have that you're really growing in your faith? Now, I want to suggest something here in terms of maturity and identifying your level as you're considering what indicators that you can point to. In terms of maturity, um, I would point you to 2 Timothy 2.2. Now, that's not on your handout, and I'm actually going to read it from my study Bible because it's so much of the way I learned it um, initially. And this passage has been such a critical part of my own journey and my own maturing in my faith. It captured my imagination um, as a young Christian at the University of Tennessee. 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, there's four levels. And so I'm, I'm inviting you this morning to identify your level of maturity according to 2 Timothy 2.2. And here's the four levels. The first level is leader of leaders. And who would that be in that passage? The leader of leaders. Who would that be in that passage? There we go. Somebody's, somebody's awake. That would be Paul. And then we've got a leader. And who would that be? That's Timothy. Paul is telling Timothy to lead. And then we've got what we would call followers or learners or we would just simply say simply say disciples and we've got seekers seekers are those faithful men And then those that will teach the faithful men are the learners. And so there's, there's, there's four levels of maturity there. The seeker, the follower, the leader, and the leader of leaders. Um, which one are you? Um, first of all, the seekers are, are just learning the basics. Um, knowing how... Um, 
to receive Jesus as your Savior, uh, learning how to study the Bible, read the Bible, begin reading the Bible. Some of you in this room have never read through the Gospel of John. You need to start right there. That's just simply a seeker. Just start with the Gospel of John. You will be blessed. Sit down and read the Gospel of John. And again, even if you've been around this for a long time, sometimes you need to just get back to the fundamentals, right? Just start back. I need to learn the fundamentals. Gospel of John. And then, and then, and then the followers um, that are teaching others, you know, you never really grow until you start to take responsibility for somebody else. And you don't start taking responsibility for somebody else just because you've got all your uh, act together. Uh, when does that happen? You know, believe me, I would not be standing up here before you uh, uh, waiting on me to get my act together, actually. That, that wouldn't be the case, you know. But I stand here before you on the foundation of the blood of Jesus, forgiven, uh, transformed by his blood, forgiven, uh, uh, and in the process of being redeemed every day. And I, and I, and I cherish the, the, the grace that I feel in my heart every morning rather than the condemnation that I would feel if I was standing up here based on my performance. I, uh, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And so, you know, we really start growing when we start seeing that we need to give to others. And that may just simply be your grandchildren. What are you, what are you doing with your grandchildren? You pray for your grandchildren. You read um, God's word to your grandchildren. There's some great, incredible resources out there, you know? And you start taking responsibility for another man, even just being in a group. You know, there's five of you in a group and you sit together, Ashley, and you know what's going on in those five guys' lives, right? And, and the group that Ashley's in, if I, if I got those other four guys together and I said, tell me about Ashley, those four guys would be able to tell me 90%, if not more, of Ashley's story. And they would know where Ashley is in his journey because he's allowed himself to be known. And that's taking responsibility for somebody else. It doesn't mean that you've got to lead a group, but it does mean that you're in a group and that you're really caring for others. And too many men that I talk to that even call them Jesus, call themselves Jesus followers are isolated. Nobody knows them and they don't know anybody. Mm -mm. That's, not a, that's not a faithful man. See, the faithful man in this passage is someone who's identifying themselves as a person who's caring for others. And then, of course, you've got Timothy, who's the leader. He's actually taking responsibility to guide and lead. And then finally, you've got um, the Apostle Paul, and he's really doing his best to shepherd guys like Timothy. I love John Eldridge's book, uh, Fathered by God. And he gives another list of ways to identify your level of maturity. Some of you have read that book. I'd, I'd recommend that you read that book. 
he identifies six levels uh, as ways to identify your level of maturity. He talks about being the beloved son, born, beloved son. Quentin is the uh, father of two sons, and he tells those boys, you're my beloved son, in maybe not that kind of language, but he's loving them consistently. And then there's the cowboy stage. You know, you're just out there being a cowboy. You know, that, uh, those, those are those adolescent ages and young teenage years, you're a cowboy. And then you move into the warrior stage. Now you're fighting the battle and that's the stage that we're in through our uh, early twenties and you're establishing your career and you're the warrior fighting the battle. And it's a hard time of life, the twenties. And then you move in uh, to the thirties and early forties and that's the lover stage. And you really learn how to love and that's typically when you hit that hit that midlife crisis and all of that 20s energy just kind of you know do i need to say that again okay all right you know what i'm talking about and it's just like all of a sudden all that energy just ain't working you know I, i've often said that if somehow they came out with a governmental mandate counselors because of hipaa can no longer see anybody between the ages of 32 and 45 dude we'd be screwed you know because it's the ages 32 to 45 that that you're kind of hitting that midlife crisis and all that 20s energy ain't working i love that age it's paying my mortgage <laughs> baseball has been very very good to me in that sense but that's another stage lover and then you move into the king stage, and that's when you're taking responsibility in your career. Um, and hopefully you've gained some competency and you've worked through the hardships uh, of life. And now, you know, you're, you're in a good place if you've negotiated that well, those other four stages. Now, if you haven't, by the time you should be moving into the king stage, you're still struggling with your addiction. Uh, your marriage uh, uh, has ended. Uh, you're on your third marriage, uh, kids are in jail, your car's not working, and your dog died. Welcome to the King stage. You didn't, you, you didn't pull into the King parking lot uh, very well. But the King stage is intended to be that stage when there's responsibility. And then the sage stage. I love that. And the sage stage is, is when you begin to step back and you begin to turn over the responsibilities uh, that you've been a part of to others that you've trained up and you've cared for. It's a neat stage. It's a great book. What level are you? It's important to identify what level you are because I believe that God has intended us to live our lives intentionally and deliberately and when we don't begin to work intentionally and deliberately with even identifying what level of maturity that we're in, then we're just generalist. And, and there's too many of us that are generally calling ourselves God followers. Hebrews chapter five, at the end of that passage, verses 11 through 14, it says, you know, you guys ought to be meat eaters, but you're still drinking the milk. You're still immature. And it is the meat eaters that are practicing, practicing, 
practicing adult behavior. What level of maturity are you? Identify that. Um, let me jump down to question number three. How would others evaluate your empathy, humility, and self-control? Now, why would I ask that question this morning? It's like, dang, dude, that's kind of in my space, you know? Think about that for a minute. How would others evaluate your empathy, humility, and self-control? Now, the reason I'm asking that question is because I want to know your EQ. I don't want to know your IQ this morning. There's some smart guys in this room, and then there's the rest of us. But EQ is your emotional maturity. And your emotional maturity is measured by things like empathy. What's the opposite of empathy? Narcissism, self-absorption. Ever, ever been uh, um, told, you don't care about anybody but yourself? I've been told that. It kind of hurt. I don't want to be that way. I want to have empathy. Humility, what's the opposite of humility? Pride and arrogance. Are you? Self-control, what, what's the opposite of self-control? You know, all over the place, chaos, the creator of chaos, not emotionally mature. Now, let me give you four other words that you can jot down. Emotional maturity, EQ, encourager. Are you? Are you an encourager? Do you encourage? Only, uh, you know, people who are emotionally mature do that. Um, do you offer feedback? EQ people, high EQ people offer feedback. You know, they let other people know um, what it's like to be with them. That there's responsiveness, there's, there's Velcro, there's stickiness. Thirdly, I'd offer you forgiveness. High in EQ, uh, people offer forgiveness. Do you? What's the opposite of those who um, don't forgive? What, what's the opposite of forgiveness? Hold, holding grudges, keeping score. Like, boy, that's, that's fun to be with. You know, how, how long do those relationships last? You know, low on forgiveness, just emotionally immature. And then finally, I would just offer you trustworthy. 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 Are you? So, like, where do you come out on EQ? So this morning, again, I'm, I'm inviting you to identify your level of maturity. Uh, spiritually, kind of giving you some categories, and then your EQ. But it's like, if, if we're going to be growing, it's so critical, so critical 
that we begin to be intentional and deliberately uh, assessing where we are. So, um, so I want to show you a clip. Everybody has seen this clip, I think. Um, one of the greatest movies of all time, many of your favorite movies, is Shawshank Redemption, right? Everybody loves Shawshank Redemption. And this is probably, you know, one of the most famous lines in the movie. You, you'll be familiar with the line in the movie in this three-minute clip. But I want you to watch this clip. It, it, uh, when I was preparing this, I, I thought about this line um, in the movie. So, so, you know, it was easy to think of. But I'd forgotten a lot of the, of the dynamic of this clip. And I want you to watch this because it's very subtle. But uh, Andy uh, Defane and Red are sitting up by the uh, uh, prison wall, and they're having a conversation about life. You know, this could be a conversation anywhere, but it just happens to be in prison, kind of like you are and I am when we're locked into being enslaved by our addiction or we're just overcome. I mean, we're living in prison. We're living as prisoners, not as free men. So see it that way. And Andy and Red had this conversation. Listen to this. I think you'll ever get out of here. Me? Yeah. One day, when I got a long white beard and two or three marbles rolling around upstairs, they let me out. Tell you where I'd go. Zuatan Hill. Zuatan what? Zuatan Hill. It's in Mexico. A little place on the Pacific Ocean. You know what the Mexicans say about the Pacific? No. They say it has no memory. That's where I want to live the rest of my life. Warm place with no memory. Open up a little hotel. Right on the beach. Buy some worthless old boat and fix it up new. Take my guests out. Charter fishing. Say what to nail. Place like that, I could use a man that knows how to get things. I don't think I could make it on the outside, Andy. I've been in here most of my life. I'm an institutional man now. It's like Brooks was. Well, you underestimate yourself. I don't think so. In here, I'm the guy who can get things for you, sure, but outside, all you need is the yellow pages. Hell, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Pacific Ocean? Shit. About scare me to death, something that big. Not me. I didn't shoot my wife, and I didn't shoot her lover. 
Whatever mistakes I made, I paid for them and then some. That hotel, that boat, I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. This is just shitty pipe dreams. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there, and I'm in here. It comes down to a simple choice, really. Busy living. You get busy dying. Gentlemen, that is the conversation that you and I have in our heads every day. Is it not? Is it not? Every day. Every day. You know, I want to hope. I want to believe that things can be better. I, I hear the voice of Andy in my head. There's a place that I'm headed to. You know what that place is? It's not a place in Mexico. That place is called heaven. I'm headed there. I don't belong here. And Red is, he's institutionalized. Like you are, and like I am. We're just institutionalized men. We're enslaved. We, we've lost our hope. We don't believe in transformation. You showed up here to get a chicken biscuit this morning. But there's a whole lot more here. And I hope you leave here with more than just a chicken biscuit in your belly. I would change that phrase that's so famous from the movie, either get on living or get on dying to this. Either get on growing or you are dead. If you ain't growing, you're dead. Either get on growing or just go ahead and be thrown on the fire. That's what Jesus said. Didn't Jesus say that? If it's not growing, what do you do with it? Throw it on the fire. The only problem, gentlemen, that cannot be changed is the one that you won't face. You're too passive. Identify the problem. If you really want to grow, identify what you're afraid of and run to the fire. Face your fears. Face your fears. See that relationship healed. See that addiction in you healed. Begin to identify what it is that seems to be inhibiting and prohibiting greater experience of God and love in your life and run to the fire. See, that's what the, the promise of Isaiah gives us. And we've been using Isaiah as kind of our, our, our template of hope I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 7, and this, this is so, or chapter 9, Isaiah 9. This is in the context of things getting really bad for Judah. Uh, 
Israel, the northern kingdom, has teamed up with the Assyrians, and Ahaz uh, is the is the king, and he's trying to somehow not be overtaken by the north. And and God uh, sends Isaiah, and in the context of things being really bad, God gives the voice of trust and hope into this bad situation. And the only time we ever read this passage typically is at Christmas. This is the Christmas passage. My friends, this is everyday passage. You know, if, if, if we would have been sitting there with Andy and Red and that prison wall, we could have walked up and said, guys, I've got hope for you. Listen to this. Isaiah 9, but there'll be no darkness for those who were in trouble. Earlier, he did bring the lands of Zebulun and Naphtalia into disrepute, and those were enemies. But the time is coming when he'll make that whole area glorious. The road along the sea, the country past the Jordan, international Galilee. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants. All their whips and clubs and curses is gone, done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their Shirts soaked with innocent blood will be piled in a heap and burned a fire that will burn for days. And then verse six, guys, what he's saying is much like what Andy is doing there by the prison wall. He is looking towards something that God has promised. He's seeing the future. He's seeing something to trust in and hope in, even in the midst of chaos all around him. And then listen to verse six. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His name will be Amazing Counselor. And again, in your study Bible, that's Wonderful Counselor. Strong God, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there'll be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of the God of the angel armies will do this. Guys, there's a place and there is a savior who makes all things new. He can change a relationship. He can change a heart. He can heal a broken marriage. He can heal and make all things new. What do you trust in? Andy sat there uh, against the wall and he offered Red a whole new paradigm. And Red said, you know, I'm in prison. I'm, a, I'm an institutional man, you know? I'm just, I'm just trying to survive. And guys, that is the talk of the enemy in your head, in my head every day. 
And I have really strong language that I use for that in my head. I don't know what you say to that voice in your head, but I've got really strong language that I say. I didn't used to have that language. I used to be tormented by that language. And um, I've got more fight in me today than I did in my 20s. I've grown. I've matured. I've got a long way to go. Believe me, long way to go. Ask Carla. She knows. But I don't listen to the voice of red in my head like I once did. I believe in the voice of Andy. I believe in the voice of Isaiah uh, chapter 9. That even in the midst of dark days all around us, now and in the future, that God has sent a wonderful counselor. Mighty God. It's not a passage that we're just intended to read at Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. I mean, as I read that passage, I hear the Christmas carols in my head. You know, it's like Christmas. Dude, this is the passage that you read every day. It's war. It's war. Look over at Isaiah 55. Again, Isaiah gives us hope. Isaiah 55, the first three verses. I love this. Hey there. I would say, hey now. All you who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway. Buy and eat. Come, buy your drinks. Buy wine and milk. Buy without money. Everything's free. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me. Listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. Pay attention. Come close. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. I'm making a lasting covenant commitment with you. The same that I made with David. Sure, solid, enduring love. I set up as a witness to the nations, made him a prince and leader of the nations, and now I'm doing it all to you. You'll summon nations you've never heard of, and nations you've never, who've never heard of you will come running to you because of me, your God, because of the Holy of Israel has honored you. Guys, I believe, I believe in a kingdom greater than anything around us. My heart belongs to Jesus. What about yours? I'm a citizen of the, king, uh, of the kingdom. I'm headed to that place that Andy talked about. And it ain't Mexico. It ain't Mexico. Better than that. Better than that. Guys, we can't live without hope. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes a man sick. And I sit with men and women every day who've lost hope. They're like Andy Defane. They're institutionalized. And I'm honored to have the privilege to be a voice like Andy to them, giving them something to trust in. In, in cycle babble, we call that reframing sometimes. Maybe we can look at it a different way to get you to a better place. Guys, God has given us 
this incredible way to live life. But you've got to see it with your eyes closed because what we see with our eyes open is oftentimes nothing more than prison walls. The eyes of faith, even as the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, he prayed that the Ephesians would see with the eyes of their heart. What you see with your eyes open is called temporal. Scripture says what you see with your eyes closed is eternal. And sometimes it is so critical to close your eyes and see what God has planned for you and where you are headed. May you see with the eyes of your heart. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for the beauty that you create in the midst of rubble. Lord, this morning I see the beauty of your handiwork in the eyes of these men. And I pray that every man that leaves here this morning would be reconnected to you, rebooted, restored, and renovated in the way that you have intended us to be all along. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.